0: Well that fun song. I uh, I like that song. I have not sung that in ages. I, I don't I don't know the last time I really sung it, but it is a good, good song, and he was asking me about that the other day. And uh, and I said, Well that's that is a really good song. And uh, I like the words to it and it's a simple tune that you kinda of pick up relatively quick. So uh, I hope this week you wake up one day do singing do and you think <laughs> yes we did thank you <laughs> and uh, so I hope you wake up thinking about that and, uh, and thinking about really the truth that hey Jesus took your sins away and uh, what a blessing that is as a as a Christian to know that your sins uh, have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ what a blessing uh, to be saved this morning if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Joel chapter number 3. We've been going through the book of Joel, and I have been uh, enjoying it. I, when I started, I, I didn't know um, how well it would go. And uh, and you say, well, what's, what's that mean? Well, some books are harder than others, and uh, they just are. Some are, are more difficult to understand, some are more difficult to follow, but I have enjoyed uh, going through the book of Joel, and uh, I, I thought it'd be a blessing just to kind of go through it. And as we as Joel opens the the book in chapter one, we're on chapter three. We're going to go to Joel chapter three. Uh, but as he opens, he is warning about judgment, and he's giving uh, a lot of warning of things that are to come. And he really kind of illustrates in in verse one some judgment that is going to fo- or in chapter one rather some judgment that is co- going to come. In chapter two, and he really shows the purpose of that judgment or foretelling that judgment is for repentance. God desires to see man uh, change and get saved and trust Him as His as His own personal Savior. That's God's heart's desire, and uh, we see that in chapter one, and then uh, we see uh, in in chapter two, we can see clearly that Christians are to issue the warning to all people. He starts out chapter 2, in verse number 1, he says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. And so chapter 2, we can see that God is really issuing a warning, and he desires for Christians to let other people know and say, Hey, listen, there is pending judgment from God. Uh, And that is certainly important for us to see and understand that we have the truth of the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God that indwells us and emboldens us to witness. And we have a command from God that we are to go to the world and let them know that, hey, the judgment of God is coming. By the way, that's still a relevant message uh, because the judgment of God is coming. And it's not so... it's not so weird today to talk about the end of the world, because people, even the world talks about the end of the world. Matter of fact, they are preparing and conglomerating down into uh, a one world government. That's where they're all headed with this. If humans do not unite, uh, then the world's going to end. I mean, that is uh, basically the theme of many philosophies even in the world. And so as a Christian, hey, it's not so odd to say, well, you're right, the world is coming to an end. Uh, but listen, it's the the world is going to unite and they're going to unite against God. And it's not going to be good. And so you better join God's team while there's still time uh, to get on his side and on his team. And that's what we're going to see really in chapter three. We have a a picture of the judgment that is going to take place. In chapter 3, it's really, it is a horrific scene that unfolds in this chapter. And we will see in this chapter that man thinks himself superior to God, and yet when he's faced by God, uh, he will not stand a chance. I mean, it's just, I thought, you know, it's almost like David and Goliath. No, it's not anything like David and Goliath. It's going to be far worse David and Goliath. David and Goliath is child's play compared to man, uh, even united man, all of mankind uh, standing up against God. I can promise you it is not going to go well for mankind uh, because there is no competition. And that's really what we are going to see here in Joel chapter number three. Uh, Joel chapter number three, verse number one, the Bible says this, For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people, for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. And they have cast lots for my people, and have given a boy for an harlot, and sold a girl for wine, that they might drink. Yea, and what have ye to do with me, O Tyre, and Zidon, and all the coasts of Philistine? Will ye render me a recompense? And if ye recompense me swiftly and speedily, will I return your recompense upon your own head? Because ye have taken my silver and my gold, and have carried into your temples my goodly pleasant things. The children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have ye sold unto the Greshans, uh, that ye might remove them far from their border. Behold, I will raise them out of the place whither ye have sold them, and will return your recompense upon your own head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabians, to a people far off. For the Lord hath spoken it let's stop there let's have a word of prayer before we get into our message this morning father we thank you just for your goodness to us we thank you again for the privilege the opportunity that we have to pause and just to take time out of our busy schedules and busy lives to take time father to read your word and think about your word and god as we study this i pray father that you'd use me i pray father that you'd speak through me and God, I pray that you'd help us to understand uh, your word and what's written herein. And, and God, help us to see the correlation, really, uh, to the end of time. And Father, we'll thank you for that. God, will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we think about this, these first eight verses, at least, uh, we see the courts uh, for the judgment. It is the courts for the judgment. Notice there in verse number one, we can see the time of that court. And he says there in verse number one, for behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, uh, God has a set time uh, that, that he is very aware of. And, uh, and listen, God, God's watch never needs to be set forward praise the Lord last last week was time change and we had to change we didn't fall forward we fell back so uh, we we had to change all our clocks back you know God's God's time doesn't have to be adjusted God's battery will never run dead on his time clock he knows what time it is and he's very aware uh, of of the time frame of things and God has a set time uh, that all of this will take place and may I remind you that God is never ever late. He's never late. He's always on time. And God is never Early. Sometimes I wish God was early. Sometimes I wish that He would do something a little bit in advance and not make us wait till the very last minute. Uh, but God is always on time. He's never late. He's never early. Uh, God knows what time it is, and there is a set time that all of this is appointed. And the Bible says this in Mark chapter number thirteen and verse thirty-two, uh, and you can note this down: Mark thirteen thirty-two. But that the but of that day. And that hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father. And so God has a time that is appointed, and that these things will take place. And if somebody tells you, well, I know what time uh, it's going to take place, listen, you can mark it down. He is a liar. It just is, because the Bible says, "Hey, the angels don't even know. And, and God the Father is the only one that knows the time frame. Now, He's given us a lot of information, and, uh, and you might be able to speculate, and you might be able to say, well, I th- man, we are close, and we certainly are close. That's fine to say, but the minute somebody says, hey, on, on uh, December 22nd at 5 p.m., you can say, well, this guy's, this guy's off the charts. This guy's not right. Because God said, no man knoweth the hour." No man knoweth the time, uh, but God knows the time, and He's very aware uh, of the time and the time frame of things. We read this verse. Go with me. Save your spot here in Joel, in chapter 3, because it's such a small book, it's uh, difficult to get back to. But go with me to 2 Peter, chapter number 3. We read these verses last week and, and grabbed, grabbed some information about the last times, but I want to take another uh, information out of this verse, 2 Peter, chapter number 3. And again, Savior Spot and we will be back there, and we're talking about God's time, and we're talking about the time that God has placed for all of this to take place. In Second Peter chapter number three and verse number three, he is talking about end times here, and he says in Second Peter three three, know, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. In verse number four, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And listen, many times people look at the end times and they say, uh, yeah, God said He was coming and He's not coming. I mean, they, they will scoff and they'll make fun of it. And they'll say, listen, the sun's going to burn out and, and this is going to happen. And and they man thinks that he is in control of what is taking place in the universe and uh, in all reality. Listen, God has a timetable that is set. God knows what time it is and God is not going to show up late and God is not going to show up early. But God has it all under control. And when his timing is right, then, hey, listen, that's when the trump will sound and the saints will be raptured out. We'll be pulled out of here. Uh, we won't be around for, uh, the, the tribulation period and all the end destruction that's coming. Uh, we're gonna be called out of here and, and we saw that briefly just in the trumpet of, of Joel chapter two, uh, the trump of God that's going to sound. But I'm just saying, hey, there is a time and God has an appointed time and He's aware of what time it is. Go with me back to Joel chapter three. In Joel chapter 3, it doesn't matter if men scoff, it doesn't matter if men believe it. God still has his time and he will come on time. Look with me at verse number 2. He says, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. And we see the uh, not only the time of the court and God's time frame, but we can see those that are tried in that court. He says there that he will gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. God is, is staging a place uh in the Valley of Jehoshaphat uh and and listen he's saying there these all nations are going to be brought to judgment. One time I was um I was preaching and I had referenced a, a verse, I don't even remember where it was, and, and there was some harsh things written in the Word of God. You know, sometimes there's some, some harsh things written, and, and God had commanded that nation to, uh, to slay all the women and all the children and all everyone. Everyone was to die. And they said, well, why, why was that? Why, why did God demand that? And, uh, and I didn't have an answer right off the top of my head, so I went back and looked it up, and, and it turned out that, hey, it was the judgment of God because that nation had done the exact same thing on Israel. And sometimes we don't see it, but God's judgment is going to fall. And sometimes we don't understand all of the things that take place. But God's judgment is very real. And every nation is going to face the judgment that they deserve because they have maybe persecuted God's people. Uh, or gone against God's, uh, God's nation, God's chosen nation, Israel. That's what we really see here in verse number 2. He says, I will gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. God's going to gather them. God's going to bring them into judgment. And uh, listen, God has allowed uh, the persecution of the Jews and, and the Jewish people as well as them to be scattered all over uh, but God's not forgotten the uh, the nation of Israel. He's going to gather them back together. He's going to gather those nations that have uh, gone against him. He specifically mentions, look down there in verse number 4. He says, yea, and what have ye to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon, uh, he's, and, and all the coasts of Philistine? Uh, and he's, he remembers those nations. He remembers those who have gone against Israel and who have attacked them. As I was thinking, of course, in my mind, I thought, listen, that's, of course that's referencing Bible times, but there are certainly many persecutions that have taken place against the Jewish people uh, after Bible times. The first thing that came to my mind was Holocaust, and roughly six million Jews that were persecuted and killed uh, during the Holocaust, and while maybe Germany is not mentioned, uh, but listen, I am saying this, God is aware of every wrongdoing that has taken place against His nation, His chosen people, the nation of Israel, and He will bring all of those into judgment. Sometimes people think, well, they've gotten away with it. No, God takes meticulous notes. God's very aware of what has taken place. God's very aware of the persecution against the Jewish nations. He mentions Tyre and Zidon. He mentions Philistine. And there could be other nations that could be easily mentioned and addressed. But the point is this. God has said, I will bring all of those nations and they will face the judgment of God. And so we find that the tried in court are those that have persecuted uh, the Jewish nation. Uh, specifically as, as is mentioned here. And what's the transgression? Uh, well, we can see the time of the court, the trident court, but I want you to see the transgression. We're not going to spend a lot of time here because this gets really involved. But look with me there in verse number 3. We'll pull a few of the things out. He says there in verse number 3, They have cast lots for my people and have given a boy for an harlot and sold a girl for wine that they might drink. And they treated God's people as little to no value. And I thought, boy, what a what a parallel. I know this is God's chosen people, I get that. But I thought, what a parallel to uh, the devaluation of people today. They would sell a boy for a harlot. In other words, hey, give me give me money and, and I'll take that money and I'll use it on wickedness and debauchery. And they would sell a girl, they would take and sell a person, a girl, uh, so that they could get money so that they could go drinking on a binge. That's what it says there in verse number uh, three that we read. Verse number three, yeah. That, hey, there was, there was just absolute wickedness and no regard for human life, much less the fact that they were God's chosen people, Israel. We're talking, that's just wickedness. But listen, that, that goes on today. I mean, it does, and, and I'm not talking about God-specific people, but I'm just saying there is little value and little regard for human life in today's society that somebody would desire their sins and, and, and alcohol and perverse pleasure more than they would value the human life. But that takes place, and we find that God is going to judge that. Um they've taken, uh, look at with me in verse number five. So we see the devaluation of human life. We see the uh, verse number five. It says, because ye have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my goodly pleasant things. Not only is there a devaluation of human life, but there's the dedicated items that were desecrated in the temple. It would be like, uh, today, you know, if, if someone were to come into our church and steal our piano and steal our chairs and steal our pulpit and steal and and take it and, and use it for some uh, other perverse religious ceremony. That's what happened. They came into the temple of God. They took the golden cups. They took the, uh, uh, the silver and the things that were made for the worship of Jehovah God, the one true and only God. And they took those things out and they brought them into their polytheistic temples so that they could use them for worship of other gods. And it was a desecration of godly things. And God says, listen, this is, these are the indictments against you that you devalue and you don't care about people and human life is of no little or no value to you. And the fact that, hey, godliness is thrown to the side and, and the things of God can be used for perversity and all kinds of other things. And listen, many times the, uh, the, the temples and the worship that would take place was a defilement uh, of religion, if I can say it that way. It was a perversion of many things. Many times debauchery was upheld and and drinking and many other things was created as a a form of worship of all these other gods. But it was completely ungodly and against what God would say is right. And so we find that uh, these are some of the transgressions, the devaluation of life, the dedicated items to God's temple had been desecrated. And then look with me in verse number six, he says, And the children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have ye sold in, unto the aggressions uh, that ye might remove them far from their border. In other words, hey, let's get these people as far away from their homeland so that we can take over what is rightly theirs. Listen, God had promised Israel the land. That goes way back. And that's God's land. And even in Bible times, people were trying to take the land that belonged to God's nation, Israel, that He had promised. He goes back and He had promised Abraham, Hey, wherever the sole thy foot toucheth, that's going to be your land. I've promised it to you. I have given it to you. And and they certainly went to that land and God had given it to them. But then later nations come in and they're trying to take what belongs to the nation of Israel and say, Listen, uh, this is no longer yours and they'll, well, they'll ship them off uh, to Greece and to other countries. To say, hey, let's get these people as far away as we can from their land and we'll take over what is theirs. We find a. Uh, all these are transgressions that God is going to judge. And listen, God is not ignorant of the abusive sins that are taking place. He's very aware of what is going on in the world. Sometimes we we think that God just is uh, ignorant of what is taking place and some of the wickedness that takes place in this world. But listen, God is not ignorant. He's very aware and there is a time of judgment that is coming. You say, well, what's taking so long? What is God waiting for? Maybe, as we read in chapter uh, 2 or chapter 1, He's waiting for people to repent. He's waiting for us to sound the alarm and say, listen, if you don't change your ways, if you don't listen to God, there is a judgment that is severe, that is coming, that you need to repent because God's going to judge everything that you've done. And so we need to understand that on our end. But they need to understand, hey, God's very aware of what is going on. We can see the court for the judgment in verses 1 through 8. In verses 9 through 16, we'll not read it for sake of time, but I certainly would encourage you to read it. We can see the character of the judgment. Verses 9 through 16 is really the horrific scene that is drawn out uh, as God really illustrates what is going to take place. Look with me at verses 9 and 10, and we can see the proclamation and preparation of that judgment. He says in verse 9, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles, prepare war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. It's interesting because you take that verse and you, 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 uh, you compare that to chapter 2 in verse number 1. In verse 2 he's saying, hey, sound an alarm. I want those guys to repent. But in chapter 3, the time of repentance is past. God is saying, hey, look, that time of repentance, that was in chapter 2. That time is now past. The time of repentance is over. There's no time for turning back now. And He's telling them, hey, now you better get ready for war. You better get your mighty men around. You better get them to turn their weapons uh, and come and come ready for war. Verse number 10 he says, "Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spear. Let the spears. let the weak say, "I am strong." And he's saying, "You better get your best team together. You better get all of your weapons together. I find it interesting as we read Bible times and, uh, and, and really the judgment of God. It's interesting because he's proclaiming, hey, that there is a battle that is coming. And uh, I find it interesting. I know I put this in my notes, at least I think, so I might cover it again. Uh, well, there it is. Um, we find it, when we read the Bible, you read about horses, swords, spears, if I can say it this way, an archaic war- form of warfare. As I was thinking about warfare and thinking about all of those things, and I'm a, I, I love technology. I am a geek. I, I like those kind of things. But let me ask you this. What happens when the power grid goes down? What happens when the gasoline dries up and people stop manufacturing it because of administrations that put in things that will cause it or the electricity goes out. Electricity goes out. You don't produce gasoline. You don't just go to the ground and pump gasoline out of the ground. It's processed. What happens when all of that ceases and, and something happens that wipes out all of the electrical gear, grid and you say, man, I'm going to get my cell phone and call. What happens when the cell signal goes down? What happens when all of that were, were hanging by a thread of electricity? And, and, and if God wanted to flick that just for a moment, the whole world would be brought to its knees. And guess what you'd be doing? You'd be taking your plows that you probably don't own and beating them into swords. Because at that point, you would have no other weapon. There wouldn't be much much form of warfare. You don't fly helicopters without fuel. You don't fly jets without fuel. You don't drive tanks without those things. You don't have modern warfare if you do not have electricity and you and you, all the supplies are gone and used up. And, and I'm just saying uh, that, hey, we very well could come back to an archaic form of war in end times when God says, hey, there is going to be judgment that is going to fall and man is without him his technological advantage, if I could say it that way. And even if he had the technological advantage, it's no advantage against God. It really isn't. But I'm just saying, we read about these archaic forms of war, and I'm just saying that God is telling them, you better prepare your best team. Go with me to Savior spot again, and and Joel, go with me to Revelation chapter 16. We're going to go back to Revelation a couple times here and and look at stuff, so... uh, I, I just I want to parallel and just show you how it parallels to the, the book of Revelation. Revelation 16 and verse number 14. Revelation 16, 14. We're talking about the battle that, that he's saying, hey, you better prepare, you better uh, get your guys together. Uh, Revelation chapter number 16 and verse number 14 says this, um, for they are the spirit's Of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Boy, if that's not a reference to Joel go back to Joel, we see the day of the Lord that is uh, referenced in chapter 2 and in chapter 1 in verse number 15. Alas for the day of the Lord is at hand. In chapter 2 in verse 1 he says, for the day of the Lord cometh. And chapter 2 in verse number 11, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And then chapter 3 in verse number 14 he says for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decisions. And we find that, hey, that day of God is a day of battle. When God will bring judgment upon all of the nations and he tells them yeah go ahead prepare do the best you can get your get your get your weapons get your strongest men and prepare yourselves for battle because the day of uh, the day of repentance is past go with me to verse number 11 in Joel chapter 3 back in Joel save your well you can save the book of Revelation but it's at the end so it's pretty easy to find but go go with me to Joel chapter 3 and verse number 11. He goes on and he says, Assemble yourselves and come, ye, all, come all ye heathen and gather yourselves together round about thither. Cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Verse 12, he goes on. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat uh, for there will I set to judge all the heathen roundabout. These are Gentile people that are going to be judged. This is not the nation of Israel. This is a time of judgment uh, for the nation for the heathen people. And, uh, and, and it's going to take place. And the place of judgment is right there in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I looked that phrase up and this is the only place it shows up in the Bible. It doesn't show up elsewhere. And I'm sure if I would have dug more that I could have probably found something. But I wanted to leave you something for you to do as homework. So uh, you can look that up and let me know what what uh, what the Valley of Jehoshaphat is. I'm sure it has significance when the King Jehoshaphat uh, was king. And, and it probably has to do with one of the battles that took place. But nonetheless, uh, it's close to um, Jerusalem. Go with me to Revelation chapter number 20. And we can see that place of judgment that takes place. Save your spot in Revelation 20 uh, because it's such... well. We'll just read it and then we'll, we're not going to be back there. I'm going to read the whole thing right now. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number eight. We're talking about the place of judgment. It's going to be in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which uh, is close to to Jerusalem. But uh, he says here in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number eight. He says, and shall go out to deceive. Let's go back to verse seven. Then. And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which were in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog. Look at what he says, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So Satan was loosed. He goes to the four corners of the earth. He gathers all the nations together so that they can come and battle against God. Verse number 9, and they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city... And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. That was a short battle. But God totally dominated. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and, from the, uh, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse number 11, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the last judgment, or this is the the judgment, the great white throne judgment, if I could say it that way as it's worded. And, uh, And what's going to take place is that every lost person will be judged. Just prior to that was that battle of which God will bring into judgment every nation. And then, listen, every person, uh, even those who have died and and gone on, the Bible says, hey, they're going to be brought to stand before God. And it's talking about lost people. They're going to be judged in this great white throne, judgment of God. And so we see uh, the judgment place. And it is right here in this valley of Jehoshaphat. It's right close to Jerusalem. But nonetheless, uh, the the Bible says that, hey, this is a judgment that is literal, that is going to take place. Go with me back to Joel chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14. Look at this. He says, put ye in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Come get you down. For the press is full. The fats overflow. For their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decisions. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decisions. The Bible says, uh, flip back with me one more time to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14. And we see a parallel of this same idea uh, in, in Revelation 14, in verse number 15. Revelation 14, 15. He says, And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle and the earth on the earth and the earth was reaped and another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven he also having a sharp sickle and another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle saying thrust in thy th- thy sickle and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city. And blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse's bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. You say, what is that? That is the judgment of God. And that's described in, in Joel here. It's just given very simply, but put in the sickle and the harvest is ripe. But, but you see, it's expanded upon there in Revelation chapter 14. And it is the judgment of God that is going to fall on the wicked and those who are going to be judged. Uh, what, a, what an absolutely terrible scene that unfolds. As God's judgment is severe and God's judgment is real and God's judgment is coming, you can see how powerful it is. But I want us to end here on this. Look with me in verse number 16. We can not only see the courts of the judgment, we can see the character of the judgment and how powerful it's going to be. But I want us to see the consolation in the judgment. Look with me in verse number 16. He says, he he gives us a little more of the judgment. He says, the Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But I love this little word, but the Lord will be the hope of His people and the strength of the children of Israel. We can see the person of consolation is God, of course. Listen, in in Revelation 20, uh, the great white throne, we see that uh, his throne was set up and the the earth fled from his presence because they didn't want to be around him. But listen, God's people, uh, those that are saved and the nation of Israel does not fear God, but looks forward, hey, to seeing God. And for us, it will be a great hope to see God and to be with God. And he says, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. And we can certainly see that God is a comfort uh, to those that know him and to those that are saved. We can see the protection. Uh, Look with me at verse number 17. It says, so shall ye know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy and there shall be no strangers pass through her." anymore. It's a place of protection where, hey, strangers are not going to come through. The Bible mentions in Revelation 21 and one, it says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I'm just saying, hey, there's there is a consolation for those who are saved. There is the new heaven. There is the new earth. There, are, there is a judgment of God that will take place for those that are lost, who know not the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, but for those of us who are saved and born again, and we know the Lord as our personal Savior. Hey, there is a protection. And there's that person of consolation. That's God. There's the protection where God will protect us. There's the prosperity. Look with me in verse number 18. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountain shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk. And all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters, and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. There's going to be prosperity. It's a well-watered valley that's going to be well taken care of as God is going to take care of us. And he goes on in verse number 20. He says, but Judah shall dwell forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation. I'm just saying, verse 21, he goes on, and For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. I'm just saying that there's a consolation. And God has prepared a way. There's a judgment. Oh, there's a judgment. It's very real. It is coming. There, there is a time when, when God is going to recall and bring back all of the atrocities that have taken place. And, and they will stand before God. And they will uh, be judged for the wickedness that has been done. But Praise the Lord as a Christian. Hey, that song that we sang. Hey, my sins are washed away. Praise the Lord. As a, sa- as a saved person, somebody who's born again, there's consolation knowing we're not going through that. We're not going to be there for that judgment. We're going, to be, we're going to be saved. The church is going to be caught up. We're going to be pulled out of here. Uh, that trumpet sounded way back in, in chapter 2. And listen, the trumpet will sound before the judgment of God, God falls. And, and the saved will be called out of here. And I'm just saying, we won't have to go through all of that. But Listen, there's people that you and I know who will, if they don't trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. And I don't want them to go through that. Furthermore, God does not want them to go through that. That's why he said, sound an alarm. Call them to repentance. I don't want them to go through that. That's why Jesus Christ came to this world and died on the cross. Because he made a way so they don't have to. If they'll just put their faith and trust in him. But there is a judgment. It's very real. It will take place. And it will uh, will someday be here. And uh, we, we don't know when, we don't know the day nor the hour, but I know this, we need to be prepared. We need others to let others know so that they too can be prepared. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for your word, your warning really, that we could be prepared. For eternity. God, there is a day of judgment coming. And God, I'm grateful as a Christian. I'm consoled. I'm comforted in the fact that we will not be here if we're saved. But God, there's so many people that still don't know. God, may we be burdened, may we be concerned. For those who do not know you. God, may we have a burden to reach the lost. God, what a consolation to know we're saved. Certainly, there's no doubt about that. But there are those who don't know you. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to reach them with your gospel. God, I ask that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, just a short hymn of invitation. close. I hope that was a